Welcome to the Sports Squire Podcast, a platform engineered specifically for you to deliver content relative to the fields of training, performance, and rehabilitation. Challenge the status quo and raise your game through changing your mindset and your action. As you embark on your journey as a sports squire, subscribe to the show to get real-time updates to new episodes. Don't miss an opportunity to apply what you've learned today. Explore, engage, learn, implement, benefit. This is the way of the sports squire. Welcome, sports squire community. I'm your host, Brad Howell. I'm a former collegiate athlete, exercise enthusiast, and physical therapist in the realm of orthopedics and sports rehab over the last decade. Episode number 10, Active Recovery Days. What do you need to focus on? Today's episode is about getting some insight and gaining some insight on what active recovery days can do to help you recover quicker from your training or your competing contests. Whether you're an athlete that's playing or competing in a particular event or game, or you're training uh, as an individual who's weekend warrior and just super sore and need to figure out how to get past that soreness or just plain need to prepare to break up the intensity of your exercise training program throughout your week, then you're going to want to listen to this episode today. One of the big things that I want to focus on is that you can't train at high intensities 100% of the time. General rule is that you're doing 20 to 30% high intensity throughout the week and you've got lower intensity, lower volume, blended in workouts to help you your body recover and, and allow you to have this form of active recovery. Historically, there's been thoughts around rest and how you can make a big difference in your ability to recover and to, and to set your body up for success in regards to how you can not be as sore after workouts or how you can bounce back and continue to climb on your progressive training programs. And a lot of times it's been been known to, to think that just taking a complete day off and not doing anything is, is one of the best routes that you can take. And while science and sport and research has showed us that uh, there is a, a way for, for all of us to recover without having to just sit on the couch and, and do nothing for the day. It's actually very healthy to get up, get your blood flow moving, increase a steady state heart rate at a low intensity, do some light stretching, do some light resistance work, and flush some of the toxins that are being produced as byproducts of exercise. So that's where I want to start today. But before I do that, what I would love to do is, is just take the opportunity right now to say thank you to everyone on the podcast. Extremely excited. This week, we're going to surpass 500 downloads on the Sports Squire episode platform. And th- that would not be possible without all of you who have been active participants and active listeners. And I just want to encourage everyone to continue to share this podcast platform with friends and family and uh, to give them an outlet and uh, an opportunity to, to be able to, to take in knowledge and use that for their own benefit and action to get healthier. That's what I'm doing this for is for all of you and to help make a huge difference in bridging educational content so that everybody can live healthier lifestyles. So pressing forward, what are some of the benefits of active recovery strategies? 
Again, we're talking about bridging time and exercise days in between our higher training or competing days to ensure that we're getting great recovery and not just you know purely resting. So number one, the benefits of active recovery, it reduces the buildup of lactic acid in the muscles, minimizing post-exercise stiffness and discomfort. It helps alleviate fatigue and improves moods that typically crash after a heavy sporting event or training event. It promotes blood flow to the joints and muscles, counteracting inflammatory processes. It maintains the heart rate at a more steady rate and has shown to help improve endurance and overall training volumes. One of the cool things that I found through my time and, and really researching this, this topic of, of mood relief and, and regulating intensities of, of different training programs throughout the week is that if you gradually change your high-intensity activity to a moderate or low-effort activity, it seems to assist with the release of those endorphins that we've talked about in previous episodes and those neurotransmitters that are responsible for better general cognitive skill and mood. The active recovery period includes light activity or a few days or right after a workout. The strategy will boost the mood of the individual in question, and athletes who regularly recover actively report having a better sense of well-being that occurs long after the workout and a successful cool-down period. So, you know, I think the, the takeaway from that is there's certainly a mental aspect to these active recovery days, and having a lower sense of, of overall working intensity helps to keep a steady state heart rate, helps to flush toxins out, which is going to help uh, lower your lactic acid threshold, which essentially is the byproduct of exceeding your aerobic capacity. And, and now all of a sudden you've went into what we call an anaerobic process where the byproduct of that anaerobic process where you've went above and beyond the, the energy systems is releasing lactic acid. And that lactic acid can lead to muscle breakdown, poor recovery, and a, you know a lot of detriment to your actual physical health. So these active recovery days are extremely important. And an example that I can remember, you know, when I was a high school basketball player, and I can give some examples when I was playing in college basketball as well, but with high school football, Friday night games, they're very structured. Saturday, it's, it's very known for most players to have light stretching, light movements, light jogging, some plyometric type stuff early in the morning and then watch film. And the idea behind that is to help flush that lactic acid, knowing that you have exceeded most likely that anaerobic capacity the night before. So a lot of benefits to not sitting down and just resting after a long, long uh, week of high intensity workouts. So one of the other things too, according to research published in the Journal of Sports Science and Medicine, this was done with recreational climbers. The recreational climbers who engaged in active recovery experienced lower lactic acid concentrations, heart rates, and a lower rate of perceived exertion. Before I get into some specific suggestions in regards to specific exercises and different routines that you can do in order to help with your active recovery, what I want to do first is just highlight two main things that can help you to just understand why it's so important to have active recovery days within your weeks and within your training programs. Number one is the concept of this lactic acid which lactic acidosis is a metabolic process 
won't get into the the specifics of how it, it goes into. I described it a little bit being, you know, a byproduct of the anaerobic process. The biggest thing for all of you to understand about lactic acid is just what are the signs and symptoms of having higher thresholds of lactic acid after training. I think that's really important for you to be able to identify where you can plug in these active recovery days and when it's most appropriate. Number one is having muscle aches, burning, rapid breathing, nausea, stomach pain. A lot of us have have experienced kind of those unpleasant feelings. And after bouts of intense exercise, and it's usually temporary, it happens, you know, when there's too much of that that lactic acid that builds up in your bloodstream. For more experienced exercisers and, and those that are higher level athletes, you have a better or higher lactate threshold. So you're able to tolerate a lot more of that lactic acid production because of your adaptation to those metabolic processes throughout the course of your training or athletic careers. So it is one thing that we start to, to typically see in individuals who have long periods of rest before brief uh, periods of intense workouts. You know, for new beginners, we may see this, or for people that are just pushing themselves to get progressive loads. And there's a lot of tips that you can do to help flush this. I think number one, for any beginners that are out there, anyone that's trying to to move to the next step and to, to get through this, I think the big thing is, is that you have to allow your body to adapt. You have to have progression within your training program, and you can't increase volume and intensity until you've really increased frequency and you've gotten consistent with your exercises. So number one tip to help alleviate or limit the amount of lactic acid for you beginners that are out there or you that are trying to to get to that next level in your training programs is just to pace yourself. The other thing is to drink plenty of water. Water will help flush that lactic acid out of your system. It helps to rid the excess, you know, also, also eating a balanced diet, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, lean meats, getting plenty of sleep. You guys are starting to hear some repetition that's going to strengthen and confirm. You know, a lot of the things that we've said in previous Sports Squire episodes, you know, in regards to some of the activities outside of your training that can really help to promote your training effects. And we've talked about those things in regards to nutrition and sleep and, and hydration. So strongly encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes if you haven't already. But the, the biggest thing that, you know, you want to look at is, you know, muscle soreness is not necessarily caused by 100% lactic acid. There is another factor in this that's called delayed onset muscle soreness, which is DOMS in a, an abbreviation. And essentially, there's a, there's a phenomenon with delayed onset muscle soreness, and it's different for everyone. You know, genetic, genetics can play a little bit of a role in regards to how some people present with pain after training or workouts. But most importantly, delayed onset muscle soreness typically happens anywhere from 24 to 72 hours after a higher bout of higher intensity training. And the biggest thing that you can do to help mitigate delayed onset muscle soreness is to just get into what I just talked about, those steady state heart rates at low intensity. And we're going to speak to some of the activities here in a second that you can do that can help to mitigate and lower your delayed onset muscle soreness. And there's been some research out there that shows that if you're able to decrease your sensitivity to pain in between workout sessions, it actually helps you to continue to come back to the next session more confident, more stronger, and and feeling like you have more energy and less fatigue. 
So what are some things that you can focus on on your active recovery days that can help you to bridge the gap between your higher intensity training sessions all the way to your next training session by having this active recovery process? My One of my favorite things to do in between on my active recovery days are some very specific go-to yoga type movements. And, you know, being a physical therapist, I've used this with patients throughout the years, but, you know, I use this before I, I go golfing. I use this, you know, after runs. I use this, like I said, on my active recovery days. And I have two to three poses that I really, really enjoy doing. And, you know, for some of you, I've I've heard different feedback in regards that I just, I don't want to spend 30 minutes or an hour doing yoga. You don't need to. And and one of the beautiful things is, is that when you can figure out from a flexibility standpoint what muscles are sore and need attention to, you can quickly figure out which poses can give you the, the biggest bang for your buck. And that's why I love some of these yoga poses is that they can target two or three different muscle groups at the same time to help lengthen and, and bring attention to the flexibility in those regions without having to go through each one individually. One of my favorite all-time favorite yoga poses is the triangle pose. And that essentially is having both of your legs straight out, diving one side, your arm towards the inner part of your ankle, and just slightly rotating up with your opposite arm and hand up in the air and your head turning towards your hand and what that typically does is that will stretch out the hip adductors and the groin it'll stretch out your hamstrings it'll hit the contralateral side which is the other side of your low back muscles specifically your quadratus lumborum muscle which is a side bender of your of your spine and it will stretch out parts of your lats and also work on some cervical rotation in those those neck muscles that are typically tight as well and also helps to open up your chest as you get your shoulder blades back. One of my favorite all-time stretches for anybody that enjoys playing golf, this is a great exercise to do on both sides. I typically recommend doing 10 reps, 5 seconds each side, and then and obviously then rotate between you know three, three, five sets of those. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to, to, to really help open the chest up, open your hips up, and get a little bit of recovery and flexibility in those lower extremity and trunk type muscles. My next favorite yoga pose is the child pose. A lot of you have probably done this before where your your knees uh, and your ankles, you're down flat on the ground, your hands are out in front of you, you tuck your chin in, and you just allow your butt to go back towards your heels. It really helps to stretch out a lot of the muscles that are elongating around the backside of your spine between your shoulder blades. And I like to do that in a central position, but I also like to put my left hand over my right and lean my butt away. And then I like to do my right hand over my left and lean my butt away in the opposite direction. And that can really give you a really good lat stretch as well. The lats uh, insert on the top part of your pelvis. So when your lats are tight, they have two different restrictions that can really limit you in your recovery. One, it can limit your shoulder elevation and mobility, and it can also limit the amount of mobility through your lower back because of those pelvic insertions. So it's extremely important to keep your lats stretched out, specifically if you are working on strength training those muscles on a regular basis. There's no doubt those are going to shorten and and get super tight and can limit your ability to get into those ranges of motion and to, to help you to progressively load. 
The next yoga poses that I really enjoy are part of the Fierce Warrior Pose Yoga Sequence. And I want to direct all of you to go to verywellfit.com. It's one of the best uh, descriptions that I found in regards to having pictures and showing you step-by-step how you can get into some of these poses. And I love these poses for multiple reasons. So some of you who have done some of these poses before, this isn't new to you, but Warrior 1, Warrior 2, Warrior 3, they're all a variation of essentially lunge and reach type stretches. And I love the fact that they're stretching and focusing on different parts of upper extremity and lower extremity flexibility, but also working on activating some of the opposing muscles that you're stretching. So it's helping you to get some light activation, which is going to ultimately help you flush some of those lactic acid type muscles. One of the other parts of the yoga sequence as well is the humble warrior pose. And I want to challenge you guys, you know, to step out, look on this very well fit uh, website. It'll give you a really good idea of what the actual pose looks like. But typically you're doing a lunge, you're grasping your hands behind your back, and then you're squeezing your shoulder blades and bringing your arms straight directly vertical. And what that does for a lot of us that have really tight shoulders, do a lot of upper body training. You know, if you're doing any type of Olympic barbell lifts, whether it's overhead lifts, presses, deadlifts, squats, you're going to have tight shoulders. And this is a great exercise to do in between your splits. If you're doing Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday splits, you know, throw this into your Wednesday mix and really work on your shoulder mobility. Uh, at the same time, at your, you're stretching out your hip flexors and, and rounding out your spine as well to help stretch out some of those lumbar paraspinal muscles. The other that's outside of the Warrior 1-3 pose, it's still part of the Fierce Warrior warrior Yoga pose sequence, is the Reverse Warrior pose, which is essentially going back and stretching out you know, even more of the, uh, the, the muscles that are crossing the front of the hip. And it can also help to stretch out those lats again on the opposite side of the side that you're leaning back towards when your arm is, is going up and back. So those are wonderful stretches that I really highly encourage for a lot of different people um, in regards to if you're a high-level athlete, they're amazing. You know, one of the, the things with Warrior Three is it's a, if you were to look on this uh, step-by-step progression, it is a single-leg stance reaching type exercise where your arm and your legs are going out in opposing directions and you're standing on one leg and you really have to have great flexibility, great balance, great control in order to hold this pose. And I think those are great recovery type things to really help with activation and help with breathing, which I didn't really even talk about at the beginning of this. But the most important thing that I love about breathing, or I should say about yoga is the breathing. And There's a lot to be said about our ability to use our diaphragm to help expand our rib cage. It's it's been taught that when you're using your your diaphragm, your ribs naturally are designed to help protect your lungs. Your diaphragm is sitting essentially at the bottom of that rib cage and it's helping to create this pistoning effect to help bring air in and out of your body and through your lungs. And one of the, the biggest things with yoga is that these positions can kind of open up that rib cage and allow you to expand that diaphragm and really strengthen that core muscle up because it is really a core muscle that is going to help you to, to get higher levels of performance, you know, higher levels of uh, stability within your spine. And that there'll be a, probably a particular segment that I'll do in the future 
specifically around the importance of the diaphragm and core stability and, and some of the lumbar issues that can arise in some people who have low back pain, whether acute or chronic. But the biggest thing with yoga outside of the flexibility, balance, and light muscle activation is really getting into that sequence of natural rib expansion breathing. Like I mentioned previously, I like yoga poses because of the fact that you can stretch out two or three different areas at the same time. And I think it's really functional to be able to integrate those different types of movements and to, to take advantage of your body's ability to coordinate those different types of movements and stretches. I think it's an extremely important for athletes, extremely important for all of us who just want to be healthier to help to refine your central nervous system and to use different segmentations of movement throughout one different movement. That doesn't mean that you're not going to still, you know, just isolate and stretch your lateral hip rotators or isolate and stretch other things. This is just a great way to just mix up your program and to really add to your active recovery. I remember it was a, it was a while ago, Joe Thomas, he was a lineman out of Wisconsin, Pro Bowl lineman for the Cleveland Browns. I remember reading an article about Joe Thomas. He was always a beast in the weight room. And one of the things that had come out, he had a very long career in the NFL, was, you know, how he did such a good job of staying healthy. Once he left, I think his playing weight was around 315 pounds during his long tenured NFL, you know, career. But now he weighs about 240, 250 pounds. He's dropped down. He's super lean. He still works out a ton. And People are amazed by the the ability for him to be able to transform, and but they were even more amazed at the fact that he was able to carry that type of a weight and stay healthy. And he really, you know, contributed a lot contributed a lot of his, his success in the NFL to yoga. And for him, and I thought this was a very interesting vantage point to him. He he found that whenever he got into certain poses and he felt restrictions, those were the points where he had the highest potential for injury. So the areas that were tighter were the ones that he felt like he needed to work on. And throughout, throughout his tenure, that really helped him to stove away from getting several nagging injuries that most linemen at that caliber of play and that tenure of play would normally you know, succumb to. So I think that that's, that's really good feedback is that a lot of times when we get into some of these poses, it shows us how tight we are and those tight restrictions can lead us to where we could potentially go if we don't address them. So I just wanted to point that out because that was something that I remember reading several years ago. And as I, as I was prepping for this segment today, I wanted to just highlight Joe Thomas and, and those comments because I think it's extremely helpful for all of us out here to understand how important active recovery can be. So with all that said, I want you all to take some of those tips and some of those poses and incorporate those into your active recovery days in between your high-intensity bouts of training, and I think you'll notice a huge difference just like I have over the last several years with implementing those into my regular routine. A couple of the other areas that I want to address to help wrap up this segment and to help give you some confidence on what you can do on those active recovery days is one doing some low steady state heart rate exercise, and the other is some soft tissue work. First, starting out with a low steady state heart rate exercise. There's several different ways to accomplish this. You could do this through walking. You could do it through light jogging. You could do it through light cycling. The, the, the key with this is that you want to achieve a level of intensity that is enough that can help to flush out these toxins that are 
occurring from your, your hard training programs or your hard levels of competition, but not hard enough where it's going to cause tissue damage. So you just have to find that balance between the low intensity and right in between, you know, essentially not getting to those higher levels of intensity because that would combat the purpose of doing that low active recovery type exercise. The other key with, with knowing that you're at a steady state, you can use heart rate monitor devices. Some of the cardio machines have those on them. But most importantly, I think using the rate of perceived exertion, you should be able to comfortably go through these these cardiovascular exercises to help flush out the lactic acid and it shouldn't feel challenging. If it feels challenging, that means it's probably too much of an active recovery exercise and you need to back it down a little bit. So great tip is just essentially make sure that you can talk and that the exercise is just extremely comfortable. One of the last things I want to talk about is some soft tissue work, which is shown to help to improve flexibility, help to improve adhesions, help with muscle repair after higher bouts of competition or training. It helps to flush some of those those toxins, but on a light massage or light soft tissue work basis. And some ways that you can do that at home, obviously a lot of us have heard about foam rollers. Foam rollers can be extremely beneficial. I do want to, you know, essentially give a disclaimer that foam rollers do not equal increased flexibility. Foam rollers and in any soft tissue work, they're intended to increase blood flow to your muscles, which essentially can help you to make your tissue more elastic so that you can stretch it and get better flexibility. But essentially, it's, it's, it's helping more with the flushing process. So we don't want to rely just solely on soft tissue techniques or foam rolling techniques or any type of self-trigger point techniques without adding stretching or light steady state to our active recovery, but it can be a great supplement. So some things that I do on a regular basis is I will sit on my foam roller and, you know, essentially cross my right leg over my left knee. So right ankle over my left knee, I'll roll out my lateral hip rotators. I typically will do this prior to getting into some stretching. So I'll get some of the blood flow going to those lateral hip rotators that are typically tight. I will do those after a hard day of some doing deadlifts or squats. Sometimes I'm doing kettlebell goblet squats or kettlebell swings. And, you know, those can typically, you know, fire my glutes up or get me feeling super tight. It may even be that, you know, you are an office worker and you sit down at a computer most days. This is a great thing to do as well to just loosen those muscles up prior to getting into the stretching that's going to help you get to higher levels of flexibility. But I will, will roll out those lateral hip hip flexors. I love to lay parallel with the foam roller across my spine with my knees up and my feet flat and the lower part of my spine flat as well as my chin tucked on the foam roll with my hands out in a V type uh, below shoulder position which can really help to open up my thoracic spine and stretch out my chest wall. Those are areas that typically can get dysfunctional and shortened. You know, as we're working in front of computers, if you're a student athlete, you're sitting in class all day, or if you're working through a strenuous strength and conditioning program where you're actively using a lot of those forward gravity muscles, we have to learn how to stretch those out to help improve the biomechanics of some of the things that we're trying to achieve so that we can limit our injuries as well. So really love doing that, that parallel foam roll stretch. Another thing that I like to do as well, sometimes some people can get some kind of upper cervical type tightness 
and just simply laying the foam roll perpendicular to the base of your skull and doing some side rotations side by side can really give you a nice gentle massage to that cervical triangle of muscles that essentially spans from the base of your skull to the cervical spine level one and then to the cervical spine level two which is your cervical triangle a lot of really good muscles that are in there will help to loosen those up and then I just uh, always strongly encourage people to do just some slight chin tucks to help stretch and elongate the spine do some upper trap stretching google what some levator uh, levator scapula stretching could be to help loosen up those upper cervical spine muscles as well so those are some focal points that I like to do uh, with soft tissue work I highly encourage you to continue to research other soft tissue techniques that you could implement into your active recovery days, but definitely something that I think would be well worth the time to, to focus on if muscle soreness is something that you struggle with. In conclusion, I want to tell a little bit of a story about LeBron James. As I came across this active recovery story when I was passively engaging with my social media and doing like we all do, searching the end of the internet, and I found this routine that his trainer had posted on YouTube that incorporates some stretching and partner stretching that allows LeBron to kind of have a little bit more focus around his mobility and figuring out ways for him to, to recover a little bit quicker. So I would encourage you all to go to YouTube and look at LeBron James active recovery. But one of the things that I think is fascinating is that LeBron James, when you look at his career, he's played since 2010 nearly 18,000 minutes of basketball, yet he's had very minimal injuries, and a lot of that has to do, a lot of people think, because of his high attention to his training and to his active recovery, and one of the things that he does on a regular basis after every game is he uses compression shorts and he uses compression devices that help to, to essentially pump blood to his... Uh, muscles and allows to bring those those good toxins, those good recoveries to those areas to help him, you know, essentially decrease his lactic acid threshold and also decrease his ability to have that delayed onset muscle soreness. So a 2013 study in the International Journal of Sports Physiology and Performance found that when compression clothing was applied for recovery purposes after exercise, small to moderate effect sizes were observed and recovery of maximal strength and power. The study found that wearing compression clothing for recovery significantly impacted things such as vertical jump, blood lactate removal, muscle swelling, and perceived muscle pain. So there's a lot of benefits of, of looking towards the compression as well. Some of you that may be high-level athletes, compression is something that you should definitely look into with your trainers, your physical therapists, uh, or, or someone that is, is helping you to, to guide you along your recovery process. One of the other things that I felt was, uh, was really uh, archaic and historic, I don't know how many of you out there played, played sports in the past, but getting in a, an ice bath. And what I think is, is cool is that LeBron does, after immediately after games, he gets into a polar bear plunge into an ice bath. And obviously this is a recovery technique that's it's been around for centuries and several studies have found a small positive physical impact from the cold water immersion post-exercise, but the psychological benefits of ice baths might provide a bigger boost. 
Many athletes report feeling markedly better after taking an ice bath, even though the science says the positive effect on the body, if any, is fairly small. But mentally, feeling as if your body has healed and you are in less pain can have a significant effect on your performance, regardless of what traditional measurable levels of recovery might say. Obviously, making your own ice bath is probably not something that's very feasible. You can use cup ice massage. There's some people that will take Dixie cups, put water in them, freeze them, and you can use that on specific areas. You only need to do them anywhere from 5 to 10 minutes. It's a, it's a lot more localized uh, feeling, but it can certainly have the same effect as when an ice bath can on local areas that may be bothering you. One of the other things that I think is is unbelievable too, and I would just encourage you all to go out and, and research cold showers, but there's some things that have been shown on cold showers in regards to recovery, as well as helping to boost immunity if you're able to, to sustain that cold shower for at least two minutes post-exercise, and some experts even suggest doing that on a daily basis. There's a lot of psychological effects and benefits that can happen out of cold water submersion. Tony Robbins is one that has preached this for several years. I believe he's got a cold water immersion pool right outside of his back patio that he jumps into on a regular basis. And he you know, certainly is one that has adopted the philosophy and the benefits physically and mentally from cold water submersion. So highly encourage you to do that. When I first started doing this, I do it intermittently. I, would, I am not one that does it on a regular basis, but I do do it after hot days, um, and training, and it's something that I am really looking forward to, to implementing more consistently into my program. But what I've noticed is that it's extremely painful during that one to two minutes of super cold water, but you get sort of an adrenaline rush, you know, after you've turned the water off or you've turned it to the warm setting, and it's amazing how refreshing you feel and how your body feels afterwards. So even though the research may show that physically it's it's limiting the effects of what it's helping you with your physical recovery. There's a lot of mental aspects that, you know, are very obvious to be able to feel and touch. So I hope you guys have enjoyed today's segment on active recovery and some of the things that you can focus on. I'm really enjoying interacting with a lot of you. If you have any feedback, I highly encourage you to go on to any of the podcast platforms that you're listening to. Please leave feedback. Anything that you want to hear, I would love to hear it. And uh, I just would encourage you as well to, to, to engage with the quick clip recaps as well. Those are a great opportunity to really give you some repetition and help you to confirm some of the, the knowledge that you're getting on this podcast platform and just really affirm some of the, the changes that you need to personally make on your own personal wellness journey. So I hope you guys have a great rest of the week and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Sports Squire podcast. Check out the show notes for anything you missed during today's episode. Click subscribe if you haven't already to ensure you get updates on the latest Sports Squire episodes. And remember, as a Sports Squire, your greatest self is found at the intersection of knowledge and action. Don't be normal, be a Sports Squire.